0: I would just like to thank Brandon for being a great friend for many years now many years now and also Brandon is incredibly talented
1: more Brandon more Brandon
0: give the people what they want <laughs>
1: Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our grandfathers and we go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week, I'm very excited. It is a Wolf 359 duel between Emma Jarco and Zach Labresco. How's it going, folks? How are we feeling?
0: so good
1: i'm ready to take her down
0: (laughs) yeah yeah you wish (laughs)
1: we both have brought dueling notebooks
0: which you can
2: see because this is an audio medium and we're just ready to go
1: (laughs) i will say zach is bringing to the table a tiny notebook emma is bringing to the table a dragon notebook so it's cute size versus pizzazz and i'm stoked
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah zach does have an excellent hat That looks very, very good for solving mysteries, and I don't have that, so.
2: I don't want to be ageist, but this is the kind of hat that you would expect, like,
1: an 80-year-old person to wear is the closest thing I had to a pork pie hat.
0: My dad definitely would wear that hat.
1: (laughs) It's got a good old man vibe. Hopefully it can bring you some Sherlock Holmes power. And you will need it because these mysteries today, I'm very excited to announce are from a new series that we have never done on the show, but multiple people have suggested. (gasps) I want to especially give a shout out to, this is their username on Reddit, Damn You Vodka, which is such a vibe. (laughs) They suggested, and it put me over the edge to finally do it for the show, saying that we should do mysteries from... The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu, a Nickelodeon classic show Ooh. that I watched a little bit of as a kid. I don't know if you two are familiar with it, but it is an old Nickelodeon staple that I'm very excited to bring to the table here. I've never heard of this. Oh! When was this made? Like 1996 to 1998. It stars Irene Ng as Shelby Wu and it stars Pat Morita, the man who played oh Mr. Miyagi, yes. as her oh grandfather. God. Okay, that's great. Oh
0: my that's amazing. That's amazing. It sounds super familiar. And I did watch a bunch of Nickelodeon at that time. So I think I did watch some of it, but I have no like concrete memory of it.
2: All of my studying the oeuvre of Encyclopedia Brown is
1: for (laughs) naught. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to keep you on your toes. So a little background about Shelby Wu is that she is a high school student her grandfather owns an inn. He's an innkeeper. And the first three seasons take place in Cocoa Beach, Florida. So, again, Florida has found its way into meddling adults. But season four, which has 20 episodes more than all the other seasons, almost more than the other seasons combined, Whoa. those were shot in Canada. So, they take place in Boston. They were all shot in Montreal. There's a very interesting Wikipedia thing about the show and how it was different, and how season three got cut short because of a labor dispute. The people involved in the show went on strike because they weren't getting paid enough, but the people creating the show said so it was too expensive because it was a single camera operation using film and Nickelodeon never did this before so they had to pick up a co-producer for season four. There's like all this drama around the show. I'm very excited but all of the episodes today are going to be from season four so they all take place in Boston, Massachusetts. But do either of you have mystery knowledge? Zach, I know you mentioned you just read every single Encyclopedia Brown book that exists in preparation. That was a lie. If I ever said that, i deny it. <laughs> <laughs> but are either of you big mystery people? I'm not only terrible at mystery, I'm also
2: terrible at riddles. So I'm really hoping Emma just beats me, like, without having to go to overtime.
0: (laughs) You know, half of the time I'm good at mysteries and half of the time I'm not. Like every once in a while, I I get a stroke of inspiration and I'm like, that's it. But I really don't want to set expectations
1: (laughs) So we shall see. Here's how the game works. I'm going to be recapping three mysteries from the esteemed children's television program, The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu. Neither of you have seen these ahead of time. I'll lay out all the clues. I'll ask you for your accusations. Each correct guess of culprit, means, method, motive, etc. will earn you points. But there's also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, you will earn a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if you just do anything particularly ridiculous, your guess is wildly off the walls, comes out of left field, you throw a good burn at each other, anything that puts a a smile on my face and a chuckle in my gut (laughs) will earn you a bonus point, because we need some sort of happiness in this year (laughs) of 2021! (laughs) And as the two of you alluded, if the score is tied at the end of these three rounds, we will break the tie with a sudden death riddle. So we'll see if it even comes to that. Before we start our mysteries, though, this is a game show for charity, so you two have charities that you're playing for. So, Emma, what Charity will you be playing for today?
0: I am playing for the charity Power On, which a friend of mine from elementary school is actually the program director for. What they do is they distribute technology to LGBTQ centers across the country which is especially important right now during COVID and quarantine because so many people are unable to utilize their local center's services. And just having access to technology helps LGBTQ plus youth and others feel connected, get resources. If they're homeless, find access to housing. And so it's something that I think a lot of us just really take for granted.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. It definitely is something we take for granted. I was watching last week tonight recently, and they talked about unemployment stuff and just how a big hindrance to people getting unemployment is just either not having a computer or not having a printer or anything, not having proper internet access. So that's awesome. That's a great charity to support. Zach, what about you? I'm playing for Buddy System. It's a pretty young charity. It started
2: about a year ago as a way for community members to help their neighbors during the pandemic, predominantly with food and medication. And now that the pandemic is crossing fingers, winding down, it's transitioned into providing sustainable resources to food scarce communities.
1: Fantastic. That's great. I've never heard of either of these charities, so it's great to learn about both of them. So now that we've learned about the charities and we've learned about you, we can put the pedal to the metal (gasps) and get into our first mystery... The Itchy Shorts Mystery. Uh-oh. oh my. Now, I, I did find some episodes of Shelby very legally, and I did pick the three that I thought had the funniest names, <laughs> and uh, Itchy Shorts Mystery was the first one I clicked on. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm getting my baby powder close just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm very excited about this. Zach, you probably will be as well, because the opening scene, we see Shelby Woo's school, their varsity girls basketball team, is doing a fundraiser game against the local police department. Now, this makes sense because... Shelby Wu works as an intern in the police department for the detectives. She just kind of does busy work, odds and ends and stuff, but she always tries to weasel her way into being a part of the mysteries. And the detectives always try to make sure that she doesn't, but she always finds a way because she's Shelby Wu.
0: So she's kind of got like a little bit of a Veronica Mars thing going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. I've noticed this trend, especially because Shelby Wu's grandfather was a retired detective. Whether it's Veronica, Mars or Nancy Drew or now Shelby Wu, I guess women protagonist detective characters always have a person in their family that is involved in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it's Encyclopedia Brown, too. His dad's chief of police. So I guess it makes sense for a a kid detective to be inspired by their parents. My dad was an engineer, and so was I for four years until I became a professional talker boy. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So they're doing this fundraiser game because Shelby's team is trying to go to a basketball tournament called the Citrus State Shootout in Florida. So yes, even though this is a Boston (laughs) episode, Florida has found its way back into meddling adults. It's inescapable. (laughs) I feel like the Thanos I am inevitable meme is Florida and meddling adults. No matter what mystery series we do, no matter how we try to escape it, Florida always finds a way. (laughs) So it's the Citrus State Shootout Orange You Glad. I didn't call it the Florida State Shootout. Bonus point for an Orange You Glad pun joke. Ah. Score to zero to one. (laughs) Oh, man. So the game is going on, and it's some high-quality television basketball, let me tell you. But all at once, while one of the players on Shelby's high school's team is on a fast break, she just stops and starts scratching all over, and her entire team is scratching all over, and this is where the itchy shorts are coming into play. So they stop the game, they go into the locker room, and they try to figure out what's going on, and the girls immediately hit the showers, and the coach starts Looking at their uniforms, and they determine that there's itching powder all lined on the inside of their uniforms. Hmm. Thankfully, since they were playing against the local police department, Detective Delancey, one of the main characters in the show, was playing, and she now is beginning to investigate what is going on. So she starts checking around the locker room to try to see if anything is afoot.
0: Quick question. So, this is a high school basketball team playing against the local police department. Yes. So it's Like children (laughs) playing against adults, ostensibly.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, in the scenes we see, the high school seniors are kicking the cops' asses.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay, I mean, (laughs) there's some
1: pretty easy turnovers where you know one of the police officers has the ball, and then a high school main character just like rips it very easily. So, so one of the mysteries is were the cops. bribed to throw the game.
0: Ooh. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. you're thinking on a whole different level here.
1: (laughs) So Detective Delancey starts snooping about the locker room. Then a girl by the name of Montana walks in. She is not one of the players. She is a flautist in the school band, and she is trying to put her flute away in a case in the coach's office. I guess she might've been playing during the game. They had cheerleaders and stuff going. So there was a whole like pep rally vibe. So maybe she was also playing like either before the game or at some point, but she goes into the coach's office asking if she can put away her flute in her case. Now, while she is in there, Shelby tells Montana, cause Shelby's also in the locker room trying to figure out what's going on. Shelby tells Montana, Hey, Tell Dakota that she did a great job. So Dakota was one of the basketball players, and she's her sister. And I think it's very funny that a parent decided to name their two daughters after states. Yeah. <laughs> I can only assume their mother's name is Virginia and their father's name is Texas.
0: Washington. <laughs>
1: <Oklahoma>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Iowa.
0: <laughs> you don't see many Iowas out there, but and, you know, it's really an underrated first name. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So. <laughs> When Shelby tells Montana, hey, tell Dakota she did a great job, Montana does not look very thrilled about this. And she just goes, uh, yeah, sure, and then is very set on getting this flute put away. So now we have a member of the team named Josie. She comes in. She's very, very grumpy because she didn't play in the game despite being identified by Vince, Shelby's friend, as one of the star players. And she enters the locker room, very upset. The coach asks Josie to get towels for her teammates who are in the showers. And she gets very grumpy and goes, are they still my teammates? And storms off. Hmm. And the coach goes, Josie, we later learn what's going on. But this is very Aaron Sorkin West Wing of (laughs) what's going on with Josie? And we'll learn in 15 minutes.
2: Not being a team player, it's a little disheartening. you know. Mm -hmm. That's a character building moment to just empathize
1: with your teammates. And finally, we have Gina. Gina was running the ticket sales for the fundraiser, and she's in the locker room because she needs to count the money before she can get home. And she does say that she has to get home, quote, for supper, which I found incredibly suspicious. Someone calling dinner supper. Not a good vibe. Mm -mm, Not mm -mm. a fan of, of this, though. The show is Canadian filmed in Canada and everyone has very thick Canadian accents. It's fantastic. I wonder if this is a Canadian thing calling dinner supper. But I initially ears perked up when she said, I have to get home for supper.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: So Shelby says, just ask coach if you can go in and do it. And Gina goes, okay. And then she does. So she goes to a lockbox, which was inside of a locked locker. And when she goes to open the lockbox to check the money inside of it, she has to get a key from the coach. There's a padlock on it. She opens it and she goes, it's empty. Oh, no. So Detective Delancey, who was checking for itchy powder stuff, she comes right in and starts talking with the coach and tries to figure out what's going on. So the coach says that the only key to this lockbox was on her key ring and she had it on her the whole time. She has like a couple of keys on a necklace so it's not like a i would lose sight of it thing like it's around her lanyard that's got i would assume her whistle on it as well got it Detective Dolency then asks Gina to recount her story, and she says that she put the money in the box after selling all the tickets, she locked it, and then, with coach, locked it in this locker inside of her office. The coach saw her lock the lockbox, and she saw the coach lock the locker, and then they went out and the game started. So there's nothing afoot here in terms of tampering with the lock or the money, etc. So then we cut to Shelby eating with her friends Vince and Angie. And they are talking about the case. They are effectively her friends that help her out with the case, much like Bess and George in Nancy Drew. They're there. They kind of help a little bit. They get into the shenanigans. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about the cases. And Shelby decides that she's going to try to talk with Montana because she thought how grumpy she was at mention of Dakota was weird. The flute thing is interesting because that would give her access to the locked area. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, she does sound suspicious.
1: So we cut to Shelby. Beautifully failing to play the flute with Montana, asking if she can give her lessons. It's quite a comedic scene. And we don't learn much from this interaction, but Montana does say that her talents are unappreciated by her family
0: Mm. in comparison
1: to Dakota's basketball talents.
0: I would say I can relate, but it's sort of the opposite because I grew up in a family of musicians. I was not athletically skilled at all either, but I was also terrible at music. Ah, so. <laughs> a double threat. Yeah.
1: Thankfully, I never had that issue with my dad because he was a pole vaulter. What? So I couldn't get into pole vaulting at a young age. What? So I never had to <laughs> let him down. Yeah, my dad was a big time pole vaulter in high school and I don't know if he did in college, but he will always brag because him and his teammate set a record for the two-man pole vault event in his high school that will never be broken because they don't do two-man pole vaults anymore. So he has a record <laughs> that will never, ever be broken. That's stupendous. That's like the school set on football teams to say like, undefeated since 1958. Yeah. <laughs> so... Then we cut to Angie and Shelby. Angie works at the local video store, so the Blockbuster equivalent, and they are talking about this meeting with Montana and they're trying to decide if a flute cleaner could pick the lock because Montana was using a flute cleaner to clean her flute. Mm -hmm. While they're talking about this, the disgruntled basketball player Josie comes in and Angie is very confused because they're supposed to be having basketball practice right now. Josie says that she doesn't want to practice with the team if she's not going to play and then she reveals that she's being benched because she's flunking science class Ah! and coach won't let her play until she has a passing grade I like the coach. Good job, coach. That's great. Yeah. Yep. In a fun Canadian note, when Josie tells this to Angie, Angie goes, that's a drag. (laughs) So uh, that's pretty fun. (laughs) A mix of 90s saying that's a drag plus Canada accent. Pretty fantastic. Probably every Canadian listener has stopped listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. We're really alienating. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I love
0: you, Canada. (laughs) I do too.
1: (laughs) I love so many things about you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, you just sounded Scottish there, so that's even worse. (laughs) So Shelby asks if that means Josie's not going to Florida for the Citrus State shootout, and she says no. And then she says, they're only going because of me. If I don't go, no one should go. So that's uh, making some Josie suspicions. Josie, if you put itchy
2: powder on your teammates' pants, maybe that time could have been better served studying for
1: science. (laughs) Exactly. Shelby then convinces Angie, noted nerd, to tutor Josie for the upcoming science exam, so that she can snoop and figure out if Josie is our culprit. So Angie then offers this to Josie. Josie's very appreciative because she says, Oh, if I pass that science exam, maybe I will have good enough grades to play in the Florida tournament.
0: I like that her intention with that is not to help Josie pass science, but to, oh, but no, to spy no no no. It's her. to crack
1: the case. <laughs> <laughs> Shelby's got her priorities <laughs> and justice is at the top. Yep. <laughs> so we then cut to shop class in the high school, and Gina is talking to another student. And completely unprompted, she tells this student that she got accepted into a prestigious French foreign language program for the summer. Mm. And this student says, Wow, that must cost a fortune. And Gina says, I'm not worried, I've been saving my money. Mm. So that's just a little aside. And now we have some suspicions of Gina. I really appreciate Shelby Wu, and I think this is going to become a mainstay in Meddling Adults because the structure of the show is perfect. You have the crime, you identify the three suspects one after the other, then you get motive for A, motive for B, motive for C, then Shelby and her friends touch base, and they recap the motives, and then they meet with person A, B, and C a second time, they re-talk about the motives again, and then there's the reveal. It's so formulaic and perfect. I love it. (laughs) So the trio is eating lunch in the gym and Shelby sees a container of itching powder underneath the bleachers. (gasps) Angie and Vince go off to class, but Shelby has a free period. So she says, I'm going to stay back and and check this out. So she starts to crawl underneath the bleachers to get the case of itching powder. And then the bleachers start closing in on her. This is also a mainstay in Shelby Woo that before the commercial break, there's always some sort of danger where one of, if not all three of the sleuths find themselves in what looks like serious physical danger and then everything is okay and there's no repercussions and it has nothing to do with the mystery <laughs> but they always find themselves in physical harm
0: gotta raise those stakes
1: <laughs> gotta get the stakes in there
0: <laughs> yeah oh Shelby,
1: be fine <laughs>
0: ah that's
1: bonus point worthy Really good. Wow. 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 Two to zero. So Shelby brings this powder to Vince, and Vince recognizes the logo on it as Norm's Novelties, a local gag store in town. So they go to Norm's Novelties to try to see what's up. And Norm is absolutely no help because he keeps acting like he's going to help them and then pulling various pranks on them with different gag gifts. But what we do get, which is important from this interaction, is that Gina is... Actually, Norm's daughter. (gasps) And she was working in the back room. We see her come out and she goes, Dad, I fixed all the inventory with all the fake barf. What do you want me to do now? And then locks eyes with Shelby. And then Shelby locks eyes with her. (laughs) And then that's the end of that scene.
0: (laughs) So dramatic. I
1: know. So (laughs) now we have Shelby meeting with Montana again, another flute lesson at Shelby's place. And then the doorbell rings and Montana goes, Oh, that must be my mom. She's going to pick me up. We were going to go dress shopping for my upcoming flute recital, but it's not her mom. It's Dakota and Montana is not pleased. Dakota says that her mom is in the car outside, but they're taking Dakota shopping for new shoes for her basketball game tomorrow. Does not seem like the greatest idea to get new shoes right before a game. You might want to break those in. (laughs) But Montana's like, what? We're supposed to go dress shopping. And Dakota goes, your recital is until next week. My game is tomorrow. And Montana's very grumpy. And when Dakota leaves, she mentions some sort of comment to Shelby. And we learn from this comment that the Citrus State shootout is the same day as her big flute recital. So if the team wasn't able to go to the Citrus State shootout, her parents would be able to go to her flute recital. Mm. So maybe more reason for Montana to try to get the team not to go. I feel pretty bad for Montana right now. I do, too.
0: I feel like her parents are not good parents. (laughs)
2: Like, her parents are showing really obvious favoritism and... All she wants to do is play the flute and be recognized for it. And she's playing the flute really well. I mean, they should give her some plaudits for that. Yeah, Yeah,
0: come on. She's even giving flute lessons. Like, she should be lauded for that.
1: Pro bono flute lessons. Yeah. Yeah. At least it makes sense that A, they're getting the shoes for the game that is happening sooner. And B, they would be traveling with their daughter to another state. But you could have one parent go to Florida and one parent stay back for the flute recital. They could be doing better. Right. Except that Florida is obviously a terrifying place where bad things
2: happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if the mom's name is Florida.
1: Oh, yeah. Gotta, gotta be. Gotta be, gotta right? Be. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so then we have a scene where Angie is tutoring Josie in physics and Josie's like, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. But then Angie uses the power of basketball to teach Josie physics <sighs> with things like force and momentum. It's actually fantastic. I love this. Josie says, oh, wow, maybe I really can go to Florida. And Angie says, yeah, but what about the stolen money? And then Josie says, eh, I'm not worried. And then begins to file her nails with a Swiss army knife. <laughs> It's, Uh-oh.
0: That is a flex.
1: That seems <laughs> like a very plausible lock-picking device. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So immediately, Angie tells Shelby about this. So Shelby gets a flute cleaner and a Swiss Army knife and then tries to pick the lock. But she has to go into the evidence room of the local police department to get it, but since she works there as an intern, it is believable that she would be there, so she comes in just as Detective Delancy is leaving for the day. She goes in, she tries to pick the lock with both, and she is unable to do so. Huh. So she meets back up with Vince and Angie, and they're recapping all of the different motives, and while they're talking about it, Shelby's playing with a hidden ball trick thing that she bought at Norm's Novelties, because Norm wouldn't talk to them unless they bought something, so she bought the hidden ball trick, so she's playing with this, talking with Angie and Vince about the different motives, and then she has an epiphany about who is behind it. So then each of the trio goes to one of the suspects and lies that the police is going to destroy the box in the evidence room because they couldn't figure out who did it. So then we have a scene of the perp sneaking into the police station where the security officer is asleep, classic, Checks out. and while they try to go in and sneak out the money, we get the reveal of who it is. So I turn to the two of you. Who do you think is behind it?
2: I think I've got it. The last piece of evidence is really influencing me a lot, which is Shelby playing with the hidden ball trick. So now I'm thinking instead of it being a lock picking, it's Gina has a dummy kind of compartment where she put the money or was able to shift mm-hmm. the money so that when they look inside, it's like a shallower top, but they don't see that the money is underneath somehow. So I think Gina took something from Norm, her dad's store. And she's the perp that they catch. All right. Emma, what about you?
0: I'm really impressed with your sleuthing there, Zach. I also thought it was Gina. I didn't think about the method as much, but I just feel like both Josie and Montana, their stories are so suspicious and so compelling that that seems like a red herring to me, both of them. And so I suspect Gina. And the fact that Gina saw Shelby in her dad's store and was so guilty seeming.
2: Before we go to the verdict, I just want to give a special shout out to our mutual friend Dakota, who's just an all-around great guy, former podcaster. Yes. I can't help but think about him. And then my ex, who I have no particular love for anymore, Montana. (laughs) Oh, wow. Way too many state names in my life and in this story. Just thanks a lot for
1: nothing, (laughs) Shoes. Well, I'm very happy to say that the two of you are correct. It was Gina and Zach, you were a thousand percent correct. Oh, my God. About everything. It was a hidden, shallow box thing. So yeah, the way that she got the money out when she opened it was like, it's empty. Is There was a second little layer and she didn't have to undo the lock, but you slide out a wood panel, the money drops to the bottom, you then close it. And then when you open it, it looks empty. And that's why she was trying to go back to get the money because the money was still in the box. Wow. Pretty great job by Shelby Wood to pick that up from the hidden ball trick though. Yeah.
0: Pretty great job, by Zach Labresco to just totally, totally nail that. Yeah,
2: absolutely nailed. <laughs> well, the hidden ball trick was really what. then I was like, oh, magic, Norm, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, I gave you an extra bonus point for getting it 100% correct. So at the end of this first mystery, we have a score of three to six in favor of Zach. This episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a subscription cocktail service that helps you learn how to make handcrafted cocktails right at home. All you have to do is supply the booze and they supply everything else. They send you a box with ingredients to make four servings of three different cocktails all using the same liquor. And what's nice is these recipes are usually for very different drinks. So you get to see the full range of whatever alcohol you're going for. And they've got a bunch of different boxes for a bunch of different liquors, whatever vibe you were going for. I've done multiple boxes with them. I've enjoyed all of them. Back when having people over was a thing, I had people over and we had dinner and drinks and it was a really fun time. And it was all very simple. The recipes are very clear. And then you get to keep those recipes forever to make drinks in the future. And at just 40 to $50 a month plus the cost of the bottle. It's a very cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails. It's also a safe way to do it given the world right now. And you can also skip or cancel your boxes at any time. So if you want to class up your night, you can head on over to shakerandspoon.com slash meddlingadults and you'll get $20 off your first box. It's basically half off. It's pretty fantastic. So again, go to shakerandspoon.com slash meddlingadults and you'll get 20% off your first box and you can start making some fancy cocktails in your home today. And I'd also just like to take some time here to explain how you can help the show, Meddling Adults, this one that you're listening to. If you want to help us raise more money for charity, you can do so in two different ways. First, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash meddlingadults, where you can pledge a monthly donation amount. You will get access to episodes early. You'll get some bonus audio. We'll put your name on the website. If you give it the highest tier, we'll thank you in the final episode of the season. Whole bunch of fun stuff there at patreon.com slash meddlingadults. Or if you would just like to give a one-time donation, you can go to paypal.me Slash meddling adults. And again, all of those funds will be going to covering expenses and then everything else goes to charity. If you are not in a situation right now where you can get financially, but you still want to help the show, there's a couple ways you can do that as well. If you just tell someone about the show, word of mouth is essential to helping out podcasts, and it would really help us a whole lot. You could also talk about the show on social media, you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes, lots of different ways. Getting the word out about the podcast helps it a ton. So if you were able to do that, I would appreciate that a whole lot. So let's get back to that podcast. Meddling the one you're listening to, and we can solve some more mysteries! we get into our second mystery, the big cheese mystery. I also picked this because of the title.
0: Nice. The big cheese, which also makes me think of Wisconsin, another state. Oh
1: yeah. Wow. Really state heavy here. We're going to hit them
2: all. It's
0: all connected.
2: Shoops, you picking this one on the title makes you a monster. Oh Oh,
1: God. I can't. I feel like I've hit your (laughs) quota of pun bonus points. I don't need the (laughs) points. I just need to keep making puns. So the first scene we see is a bank robbery. We see someone come in, and on a piece of paper, they have a note, they hand it to the teller, and the teller goes... $50,000 in unmarked bills. Jeez Louise! (laughs) And then we turn and we see actually by a news broadcast that the person wasn't saying Jeez Louise. They were saying Cheese Louise because the person robbing the bank was dressed in a Cheese Louise costume and Cheese Louise is a character on a local children's television program named Former Dan the Dairyman, which is about to celebrate its 25th anniversary. So someone was in one of these ridiculous costumes, it's like if the Hamburglar was inside of a wedge of cheese. Uh-huh. They've got a black and white striped shirt with red gloves and then just a big cheese body, like a giant cheese wedge, as if you had one of those Green Bay Packer cheese heads, but it was your whole body. And then there's a face in it, too. Very mascot vibes. This is the person that robbed the bank.
0: That's the costume from the cartoon just as it is.
1: Yeah, so this TV show is like a Barney and Friends where people wear these giant costumes and that is one of the costumes. Okay. So it could be one person or it could be two people
2: inside of it because the costume's so big.
0: Why stop it, too? It could be three.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> now we're thinking the
1: same way. <laughs> this is dangerous for the perps. So it turns out that Angie and Vince are huge fans of the show and Shelby has never heard of it. So they just decide to take Shelby to the studio so they can try to figure out what's up. They arrive during filming of an episode and we see Milkman Stan, another character, he gets a giant bucket of milk poured on him by Cheese Louise. And this is Cheese Louise, same costume, big way of cheese, all that kind of stuff that we saw on the camera. And it's apparently this long-running gag on the show. Now, Detective Delancey is also here to investigate. So the show ends, and Delancey starts to talk to Farmer Dan. And Farmer Dan says that the costume for Cheese Louise is locked in the costume shop when it's not in use. Mm -hmm. And when Delancey asks who has access to the costume shop, he says, Me, Milkman Stan, and Rita Shaw. She runs the costume department for the show. So we then see Milkman Stan and Farmer Dan get into an argument about the milk-pouring bit. Milkman Stan says he's tired of it because he just keeps getting covered in milk and he has done so for the past 25 years.
0: Yeah, I feel like I would tire of that.
1: And in peak Nickelodeon form, Dan says it's a classic bit, it's our trademark bit, and kids love when you pour stuff over someone's head. Very reminiscent of the sliming days of Nickelodeon. <laughs> Milkman Stan <laughs> says that it's your trademark bit, it's not mine. I don't like this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now we have another character enter named Nancy Sabbat. She is a writer for the World of Travel magazine. And she tells Shelby that she has a meeting with farmer Dan about fun activities for kids in the Boston area. Area. Why is she talking to Shelby? Because Shelby has been posing as a camera woman to try to get behind the scenes access to snoop around. So Shelby has to play it cool and uh, not give away that she doesn't actually work for the television program to Nancy.
0: I just love how precocious all these like children and teenage sleuths are. I would not have had the guts to do any of these things when I was a teenager. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Not
1: at
2: all. (laughs) I just want to say, is Shelby Woo also the next Robert Zemeckis? Like the next Wunderkind who's just going to make films all across the spectrum?
0: Was Wunderkind also a pun?
2: (laughs) What would that have been a pun off, off of?
0: Shelby Wunderkind.
2: Oh, Shelby Wunderkind. (laughs) Oh, Shelby Wunderkind. Nice.
0: Emma gets a bonus point for sure.
2: (laughs) A hundred percent. Scores four to six now. That's great. Shelby Wunderkind. Wow. Incredible work, Emma. Using my puns against me. Terrible even the ones I don't know that I've made.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I've been waiting for an opening.
1: (laughs) So Nancy then asks Shelby if they have something to drink while she's waiting for Farmer Dan to come out. And Shelby says, oh, there's a soda cooler over here. The red one has sodas in it. And then Nancy says oh, is it the one on the left or the right? And one is red and one is green. And Shelby's like, uh, the one on the left. Uh, Like, it should have been very obvious. Hmm. So Shelby then sneaks back to the costume area and she sees, she's Louise, the actress who actually plays her, taking off the costume and then Rita locking it away. And then, of course, the actress is like, I hope I don't get arrested. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's, it's definitely not the actress. Yeah. (laughs) Acting. It's a dangerous business. It is. (laughs) So we're back at Grandpa Wu's Inn, and Nancy is actually checking in. And she goes, oh, I recognize you. Don't you work at the TV station? And the best is Shelby never lies. When she's snooping about, she just always diverts the attention away from the question. So this is the second time that she hasn't actually answered a question. She just goes, oh, let me help you with your bag, so that she doesn't have to lie. I really appreciate that.
0: Great save, Shelby.
1: So there's a little something poking out of Nancy's luggage, and Shelby tries to be helpful and say, oh, there's something caught on the end of your luggage. And Nancy says, oh, it's a scuba suit. I go diving and I am doing a story about diving in the Caribbean after this. But it is a little bit yellow. Mm. So this has Shelby later think, oh, I wonder if that's like actually the cheese suit.
0: Mm. Also, yeah, I mean, maybe she's going to the Caribbean, but you don't want a scuba dive. In the Boston Harbor.
1: No. And Grandpa Lou actually does bring this up too, which is very fun. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so now we have a scene of Cheese Louise stealing a police horse what? while a policeman is buying a hot dog in a park. So that's fun.
0: That does sound like Boston. <laughs> so,
1: so the policeman is then recounting the story to Detective Delancey. Apparently, Cheese Louise got away on the horse, fell off the horse, but then ran away. But the policeman couldn't capture this cheese Louise thief, but they did fall off a horse.
0: Bad thieving.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Angie and Vince (laughs) go back to the studio. They go backstage to Milkman Stan's dressing room and ask him for an autograph. Angie, since she's a super fan, has a photo because she was one of the kids that got called up on stage once. So she goes to get it autographed and they notice a bruise on Milkman Stan's arm, which... Could definitely be a. I just fell off of a horse bruise. Yep, yep, yep. They ask him what happened to your arm, and he says he slipped on milk in his dressing room. So that's his excuse because he is always covered in milk when he goes back to his dressing room at the end of the show. <laughs> Similar to Montana, I feel pretty bad for Milkman Stan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Even if it is him, I still feel bad for him. <laughs> it's rough
2: riding out your years just getting milk dumped on you over and over yeah. again.
1: So Shelby tries to inspect the lock on the costume rack. But while she's doing so, Farmer Dan and Rita come in, so she has to hide, and they come in arguing. Mm. Apparently, Farmer Dan had a meeting with a potential sponsor for the show, a dairy group, and Rita asks if he showed them her ideas. And he says, yeah, they didn't like any of them. And she goes, they didn't like any of them. How can I trust you? I bet you didn't even show them my ideas. I'm going to go over there myself and tell them my ideas. And Dan says, if you do, I'll fire you. Whoa. Yeah. Then we have the danger scene, which is the three sleuths trying to use a cherry picker to investigate <coughs> if a walkway, like the catwalk, can go back to the costume room, and then the cherry picker like goes out of control. They end up being okay because they jump into a ball pit, which was used in the show. So they're all safe. We later have a scene of Nancy eating breakfast in Grandpa Wu's inn, and the delivery guy recognizes Nancy. And Shelby finds it interesting that Nancy's from around here. He says, oh, you're Nancy Underpantsy. And she goes, what? And then apparently there's this embarrassing story where her skirt got ripped on a field trip and people saw her underwear and then she got named Nancy Underpantsy. Apparently this delivery guy though is Ed and his nickname was Ed the Head because he went bald at 15. So this is just like the meanest school ever. Oh my God. So we now have a scene of Cheese Louise on a Vespa, skirts up to an old lady with a purse, ditches the Vespa, steals the purse, and then runs off. So wait, hold on. Riding a Vespa.
2: Yes. Gets off the Vespa, steals purse. Yes. Just keeps running? No. Hops back on Vespa, rides away. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Powerful stuff from Cheese Louise. Like
1: master... But not really master of so many different modes of transportation. (laughs) 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 So then we have the scene of the old lady in the police department trying to tell Detective Delancey what happened. And she's there. She has this green glove in her hand that she's shaking all angrily. And Detective Delancey basically just makes Shelby deal with her because Shelby's the intern. So she gets all the bad jobs to do. So Shelby starts taking her recounting of what happened to her. So now we have Angie and Vince looking for Rita's portfolio to see what these ideas were. And inside the portfolio are drawings of new character ideas. We have... Ice Cream Ivy who is described as she'll melt your heart Aww. and they're all drawn like in these costumey type things very masked singer vibes mm, mm. then there's Butter Boy Roy and then there is Yo-Yo Gertie <laughs> a hip hop cup of yogurt
0: okay <laughs>
1: hmm uh, yeah I'm gonna go out on a limb and say those are terrible ideas yeah <laughs> So now this new angle is that Rita might be doing this because if Cheese Louise gets all this bad press, they won't have Cheese Louise on the show anymore. They'll be forced to use a new character and they'll have to use Rita's new ideas. Right. Right. So they go and they talk to Milkman Stan again in his dressing room and they bring him what looks like a Milkman Stan Ken doll. And he (laughs) goes, whoa, they stopped making these years ago. And as a thank you, he shows them his scrapbook. He's saved different things from the past 25 years of working on the show. And he says, you can go look over this in the bleachers before we start filming the next episode. So they start going through, and they realize that Milkman Stan had a much bigger role on the show before Cheese Louise entered. And apparently Cheese Louise stole a bunch of his bits. So now this is his potential motive is trying to get Cheese Louise out of the mix Mm -hmm. so that he can do more than just be the guy that gets milk poured on him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also in this scrapbook, they learn that Nancy's underwear issue happened on the show and it was written about in the paper, which feels especially cruel.
0: What? It happened on the show?
1: Yeah, so apparently she was on the show and for part of the show you're supposed to like sit on top of a cow, but her skirt got caught on like a cow horn or something and it ripped and then it was on the TV show, which I don't know if this is a live show, but it feels like they could have cut that out. Yeah. So we learn that the Nancy underpantsy thing is tied directly to the show. So now we have motive and stuff for everyone. So I turn to the two of you. Who do you think is behind the Cheese Louise crimes? (sighs)
0: I mean, once again, maybe this isn't necessarily the right tack, but I feel like both Rita and Milkman Stan have such clear motives that somehow it's Nancy. Okay, I don't know how it's Nancy, but it seems like she's kind of trying to reclaim her life like this was a really traumatic event for her. And by stealing the Cheese Louise costume and going and living out these crimes is some way of her redeeming herself or healing from that trauma in a really unhealthy way.
1: Gotcha. What about you, Zach? I think it's definitely
2: Nancy, and I think we've got a lot of parallels, though I don't know how she's stealing the costume, Yeah, but she's colorblind, and somehow this matters. From the red and green, and then the green glove, she sat on a cow and fell And then she was on a horse and fell.
0: Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Good catch.
2: I do want to say we can't entirely rule out Ed the Head, (laughs) who is probably also traumatized from being in high school and just being tormented by his fellow classmates. Yeah. So I think it's Nancy,
1: but I don't know how she got the costume. So I'm interested to learn that,
2: if it is indeed her.
1: Okay. Happy reveal Again, you're both correct. It was Nancy. Ah. The colorblind thing was the giveaway because... Cheese Louise is supposed to have red gloves, but Uh Nancy's version, she had green gloves. So that's the old lady had the green glove that the thief had dropped. So that was the giveaway with the colorblind stuff. They do never reveal how she got the costume. That is never said.
0: That's never revealed. (laughs)
1: No, they just point to like why it's her, but they never bring up like, hey, how'd you get an exact replica aside from gloves of the Cheese Louise? Yeah. (laughs) And I will say, as a colorblind person, specifically someone that is red, green, colorblind, that is not how colorblindness works, and I don't understand how Hollywood gets this wrong all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you have extreme cases of colorblindness. They get this wrong in kids' shows. They get this wrong on New Girl. If you're colorblind, it doesn't mean that you're a dog and that you see everything in black and white. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I am flabbergasted that Hollywood consistently gets it wrong when I think like 20% of all males are colorblind
0: though i do think the colorblind thing on new girl is mostly done just for like comedic effect yes
1: dramatic (laughs) stuff though it is offensive because i own three different shirts that winston has worn on that show really yeah so when the whole bit is that like oh he doesn't know what his clothes look like that's why he wears wacky shirts i was offended
0: i don't like that winston wears wacky shirts because he loves wacky shirts
1: (laughs) on behalf of hollywood i
2: just want to apologize to all (laughs) The colorblind people. Thank you, I mean, not because I'm associated with Hollywood, but just because
1: I think they deserve an apology. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the score is now nine to seven. We're going to get into the final mystery, which is the hardest one. This is the haunted house mystery. So we see an old lady named Mrs. Epps in her house, and she hears a strange voice, and then all of her clocks start cuckooing at the same time as it struck midnight, and she screams in terror. So now we cut to her relative, named Kay, bringing—and we learn that Mrs. Epps is her great-aunt—she is bringing her to the Wu Inn to, say— You should stay here while we figure out what's going on with your house. And we very much get the vibe that Kay wishes her great aunt was in a retirement home, but Mrs. Epps is not having any of this. But Mrs. Epps is having Mr. Wu. She starts putting the moves on him the whole episode, and it's pretty great to see her flirt with him and Mr. Wu not be interested at all. Oh, my God. I
0: want to watch this so much. (laughs) We all know that
2: feeling of flirting with somebody who doesn't like you back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do.
1: (laughs) Gonna give Zach a, oh, no, it's too real bonus point Here, the score is now 10 to 7. (laughs) uh, Mike, you were saying? So Shelby then tells Detective Delancey, but Detective Delancey says they've already inspected this house and they found no signs of any intruders. Angie and Shelby go to check out the house. They think they see coffins in the basement through one of those little basement windows. It's a very East Coast thing where you can see like tiny window into someone's basement. I've not seen this in places outside of the Northeast. So if anyone is not from the Northeast, this is a normal thing. Yeah. Tiny little window. They see what look like coffins. Then as they go up to the house, they overhear people doing repairs on the house and they're talking about not doing a good job with the repairs to try to get the old lady in the house to try to just get frustrated with it and move out and sell it to them so that they can then flip the house for $200,000. A house in Boston for $200,000? My God! Are you kidding?
0: (laughs) If you're only selling a house in Boston for $200,000, you're doing something wrong.
1: Great plan, criminals. Great plan. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a tall guy and a short guy. The tall guy approaches Shelby and Angie and Angie does an incredible lie about saying that they are with a dinner delivery for the elderly service. And while the tall guy, who's very nice, talks with her about this, the short guy comes up and says, the old lady isn't here. She's going to be gone for a while. So you shouldn't waste your time hanging around here or coming back. So very grumpy, very grouchy. So Shelby and Angie then run into a kid near the house. His name is Gary, but his code name is Hebe Gb, which is He B Gb, standing for He Be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> Pretty fantastic stuff. He apparently has an online presence as a ghost hunter, so he stops. Shelby and Angie, as they're walking by, and he says he's been monitoring the house because it's definitely haunted. And he says that he has a picture of the ghost. And when he goes to show it to them, it's overexposed. He blames this on his flash having an issue, but he says it definitely looked like his great uncle Ed. Hmm. This can't be Ed the Head, could it? No, it is not Ed the Head. I wish <laughs> okay. it was. So Gary's mom then comes outside and we see that Gary's mom is actually Kay. So... <gasps> More family ties here. She gets mad at him for the whole ghost stuff and he says, what are you going to do? Send me away like you want to do to Auntie Epps? So we learn that this great Uncle Ed ghost is actually supposed to be his great, great uncle. It is the husband who is tragically deceased of great aunt Epps. I do think it's very funny. I get they do this for the show, but for a kid to call his great aunt, basically his great grandmother, by her last name. Yeah. I don't don't know a single person that does that. You're trying to get old lady Epps out
2: of her house. You're trying to get me to come to supper. I'm not going to have it.
1: There's a very funny scene between Auntie Epps being really difficult to Grandpa Wu and Shelby then offers, hey, what if me and Angie stayed with you at your real house overnight and we can try to inspect the ghost situation? And Grandpa Wu, who is always very nervous about Shelby getting into danger, says, I've got to think about it. And then Auntie Epps requests two more things and then he goes, I just thought about it. You can go. It's great. <laughs> He's fantastic.
0: Oh, Grandpa Wu.
1: So Vince comes to Shelby with some information about the situation via an old obituary in a newspaper. Great Uncle Ed was Edward Epps, a clockmaker. He apparently died of natural causes while repairing the house. So these things that they thought were coffins are actually grandfather clocks that were in the basement. Oh. So Shelby and Angie and Mrs. Epps are in the house. They check out every room. And Mrs. Epps, whose whole thing is trying to keep rooms warm, and that's why Grandpa Wu was so upset, she asks, shall I turn up the furnace? And Shelby goes, no, 95 is fine. Oh my God. Which is absurd. <laughs> Shelby immediately gets set up in her room, closes the vent, Angie goes over to her room, and right as she's away and Shelby's all set up, the lights start to flicker, the ceiling starts to leak, and then Angie screams from her room, and when Shelby enters, Angie is not in the room! <gasps> so... She runs downstairs. Epps says that the ghost is back. Shelby goes to get some candles, but someone's in the closet. No. So Shelby runs out of the closet. Then someone falls down the stairs. And now there's someone outside with a flashlight. Like all these ridiculous things start happening at once. We learned that the flashlight person outside is just Vince trying to help. So it's all okay.
0: Oh, Vince.
1: And then downstairs, we see Angie, who was on the couch. She wakes up and she goes, Oh, I must have passed out, which is very nonchalantly brought up. Yeah. (laughs) So... Basically, what happened was the person who was in the closet and then fell down the stairs was the taller, nicer repair guy. He came back to try to do some repairs. He didn't think anyone was going to be here and he wanted to do some repairs. He doesn't like his brother's plan of like trying to do a crappy job so that the old lady gets fed up and tries to sell the house. So he was trying to repair some stuff.
0: Well, that's nice.
1: He hid in the closet when people started making noise because he was scared because he wasn't supposed to be there that late. What happened to Angie was she fell through a hole in the floor and landed on the couch.
2: Wow. That's a big insurance liability avoided there for Mrs. Epps.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So now Kay shows up. Kay is there because Gary is missing. It was Halloween this night and Gary went out trick-or-treating and he never came back. And... Epps tries to say, oh, the ghost is back, and Kay is like, I can't deal with this anymore. We're not talking about ghosts. My son is missing. This is absurd, and she just leaves in a huff. So the crew begins to investigate the house a little bit further. They start with the cellar. And when they're in the cellar, they have a sulfur smell. Mm. Vince, who's been very much on the Ghosts Are Real train this whole episode, says that ghosts sometimes can smell like sulfur. And Shelby goes, yeah, but matches also smell like sulfur. And that's more likely. Mm. So the whole big scary thing that's happening when there are, quote unquote, ghost attacks of this house is that you hear a voice reverberating through the whole house. And it's in various rooms. So they're trying to see if there is like a speaker system or something to make sense of why voices are all over. So they go back upstairs, they talk about the suspects and stuff, and they start to reason through who they think it is. So I will turn to the two of you now. Who do you think is behind the ghost haunting?
0: Oh my God. I truly, I'm I'm not sure with this one.
2: Our three suspects are Kay, Gary, and the short guy, right?
1: Yeah, Kay basically... The thought is maybe she's trying to scare her grandma into getting into a nursing home. The short guy is trying to get Kay to want to sell this house. And then Gary is convinced that ghosts are real and the ghost is his great uncle Ed and he's going to get a picture of him and the house is definitely haunted. And I will say that like Gary's mom, when she yells at him for the ghost stuff, this is like Gary's entire existence. (laughs) So. I
2: think that some of what's going wrong with the house is just about the heat being turned way too high.
1: Okay. <laughs> I mean, valid are 95 is a legit sauna.
2: Yeah. That, they're like just shorting the electricity in the <laughs> house by diverting so much power to the heat being <laughs> 95 degrees.
0: Yeah. That checks out.
2: I don't feel great about it, but I think it's Gary. Like he wants ghosts to be real so badly that he's making ghosts be real. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. All right. Cool. Emma,
1: what about you?
0: Just so that we have one where we guess different things. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I honestly, it's sort of a toss up for me, but I am going to guess that it's the short repairman. Nice. Because I think he really wants that 200K. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I'm happy to say, Zach, you are correct. It was Gary. All right. So he wanted ghost to be real. But specifically what he was doing was he was trying to channel great uncle ed to come back and he was doing what he thought were ghost noises and lighting matches and doing i guess like seances that was the sulfur smell was him lighting candles and oh, stuff in the basement yeah, yeah yeah trying to speak ghost language to talk to a ghost exactly and the heat vent thing is the noises were basically reverberating from the furnace in the basement the reason that shelby didn't hear the voice in her room is because she closed that heat vent but mm. the reason that the old Lady kept hearing it is that she wanted every room that she was in to be warm. So she was always in a room that had an open heating vent. So that's why she kept hearing the noises.
0: It sounds like she should move to Florida.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we really went full circle on that suggestion. Yeah. (laughs) Emma, I did give you a bonus point for first off, trying to just guess something different, which is always nice and I appreciate that. But also because though the short guy wasn't guilty of this crime, he does get arrested for malpractice of repairs. <laughs> so he does get put into jail for his shoddy work and endangering people.
0: That makes me feel better. I feel like justice has been served. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it definitely has. So, Zach, you are the winner of this episode of Meddling Adults. You have won with a score of 13 to 8 and you've earned some money for buddy system. How does it feel to reign Victoria? I just want to thank all the old people in my life who taught me a lot
2: of things about mysteries. I want to thank Richard P. Feynman, who wrote in his memoir a chapter about lock picking, which didn't help me at all when it was about actually magic. And I want to thank Emma for being my mentor, who it was inevitable that I would
1: surpass.
0: I'm so proud of you, Zach. <laughs> Emma,
1: you still fought valiantly. You still did very well. It was a close one. Great guesses all around. A very fun episode. I'm very appreciative for the two of you taking time to be on the show. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast-wise, et cetera, where can they do so?
0: You can find me on a regular basis on Pairing Podcast, which is a podcast that I host and produce all about pairing wine with art and pop culture. So it's not pairing wine with food, but pairing wine with fun stuff. So I release those episodes every other Friday. So definitely check that out at Pairing Podcast or thepairingpodcast.com. And you can also hear me as an actor on uh, uh, one or two podcasts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's most notably and most recently, I'd love to plug Unseen, which is a new urban fantasy Podcast from our friends at Wolf Three Fifty Nine, and it's really fun. The whole first season is out. Every episode is just one character in a magical world, so it's very digestible and very fun, and kind of nice escapism right now in this world that we live in. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also Wolf Three Fifty
1: Nine. Yes, yes, of course. What about you, Zach?
2: All those things. Emma's amazing. Um, oh. <laughs> you should check her out anywhere she is. I want to give a shout out to my mom, who won a distinguished professorship for. Hofstra University. Yo! I'm just so proud of her.
0: Oh my god! Congrats to Mama Labrisco. Congratulations, your mom.
2: Absolutely way too cool. Yes. Too proud of her. And my niece, Beatrice, who's a year and two months old. The light of my life.
0: She's amazing.
2: Incredible. Anyway, you can find me on the internet.
0: And I would just like to thank Zach for being a delightful opponent and a great friend for many years now, many years now. And also, Zach is incredibly talented. We're going to cut all this out, right? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: man. Well, thank you both for being on the show. This was very, very fun. I was glad that we were able to bring a new mystery series into the podcast featuring some new meddling kids. But this episode was starring the two of you, two meddling adults. thanks so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Kampamanis and Brandon Grugel, and the website is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash meddlingadults, where you can pledge a monthly amount and get some nice thank yous in the form of bonus audio, early episode releases, your name on the website, and more. And if you'd rather just give a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. If you want to find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at meddlingadults. And our subreddit is reddit.com slash r meddlingadults. You can go to our website meddlingadults.com to learn more about the show. You can also get merchandise there. We've got Murder Hornet stickers and some new stuff coming out later. And if you just want to help out the show, you could tell someone about it. If you think of someone that would like the show, how about you recommend it to them? Or you could post about it on social media or leave us a rating interview on iTunes. All of these things help a whole bunch. Thanks again for listening and make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss our next episode coming out next Wednesday.